Welcome to Subcutaneous, a beneath-the-skin look at medicine with myself, Dr. Goddard. And me, David Phillips, and today's guest. Our special guest, Dr. Hector Marquez, who (laughs) is, I met during my intern year in Spokane, and he is back visiting, and we... Mm -hmm. He thought he was just coming over for a beer, but uh, we suckered him into the podcast today. (laughs) And lo and behold, now I am sitting with a microphone in front of me. (laughs) Yep. That's how we do. Well, it's been a while since we've uh, done one of these, so it should be interesting to get back in the swing of things. We've been enjoying our summer. Yeah. Lots of fun stuff. Lots of traveling for me. Yeah. Lots of travel. Lots of time on the lakes. A few vacations, but today it's snowed, so we're like, oh, we better do a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. And lo and behold... Yeah, Lauren and Suspect and Victim as well. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we were always planning on doing one today. We were like, <laughs> oh, we, knew, okay. we knew we had to get one out, so... Yeah, and then Hector came over to just catch up, and I was like, hey, you want to do a podcast episode? <laughs> and I said, sure, why not? <laughs> wow, look at you, you're so nice. And crazy story, given my travel, I actually... Hector and I did our internship year together here in Spokane, Washington, mm-hmm. And now I travel to a small town in central Wisconsin. I don't know if you'd call it small, medium. No, it's a small town. Yeah. Wausau, Wisconsin. And Hector is actually a um, practicing radiologist there. So um, that was fun to kind of chat about our paths (laughs) and how we both ended up in little Wausau from Spokane and Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, very, very small world. I was definitely surprised because uh, it being a small town and all, you tend to know uh, the names of most of the practicing physicians there. But there's always the, the locums and the travelers that kind of stay a little bit outside of the bubble, so to speak. So it's kind of interesting just to hear that you were over there. And yeah. It'll just relate to that that sense of what a small world. <laughs> mm-hmm, it is. And, it's, and our fields don't overlap as much with like very skin true. cancer surgery and um, musculoskeletal radiology. <laughs> Very not, true. Not, Although I, I have much. the privilege in WASA of being more a general practice okay. uh, radiologist, so I do see the occasional skin care uh, or the skin cancer scans, but primarily we're talking like PET CTs for melanomas yeah. or um, workup if somebody comes in with a really big basal cell, you know, right. things of that nature. But uh, definitely not to the degree that maybe you're dealing with in that realm of MOS and yeah. minimally invasive and very small things. Yeah, yeah. So. We had never seen each other on a report or anything. <laughs> no. But, um, happened to find <laughs> or, out. Or, or even both. out in town. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I know. I, I'm kind of a hermit when I'm there. I just work. So <laughs> anyways, well, thanks for coming on, Hector. We'll get to talk about your story, which My is pleasure. actually going to be super fun, I think. I know I'm going <laughs> to learn some stuff. So. Yeah. I think I detect a hint of an accent, so maybe we start there. Where did you uh, uh, grow up? Very very astute uh, observation. <laughs> uh, so I uh, grew up in Mexico, actually. Uh, my To give you guys a, a, a little bit of a run-through of kind of like the path and that led me over here. So uh, I was born in Texas, uh, but I grew up in Mexico. Uh, and when I was growing up... Uh, I was kind of like the prototypical little kid, you know, you're five or six, and one day you just say, I want to be a doctor, and like, that, that was it. No real thought behind it, no real meaning, it was just something that you just come up with as easily as other kids say, I want to be an astronaut, or a fireman, or something. Or a dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or a dinosaur, <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
Uh, so that, that was it, and uh, I decided on that, and for some reason it just stuck. And uh, the only time that I actually changed my mind was when I was 16, and I wanted to be a rock star, uh, because I had my band. And, yeah. uh, but other than that brief uh, six months to 12 months period, it was always uh, be a doctor. So growing up in Mexico and going to school over there, the decision was, well, do you want to go through the schooling system in Mexico mm. and uh, try your chances in the U.S., even though I was a, a citizen, uh, and try my chances in the U.S. or stay in practice in Mexico? Or do I want to go to college in the U.S. and then try to get into a U.S. medical school and practice in the U.S.? So there was a lot of back and forth, uh, not just within myself, but also with my parents, because mm-hmm. uh, my dad had some exposure to the U.S. He did some... Um, even though he was a civil engineer in Mexico, graduated from Mexico, he did some post-grad studies in the U.S., so he kind of knew how the system worked, and uh, he knew the opportunities that were in the U.S. compared mm-hmm. to Mexico. Yeah. So sitting down and a lot of discussions, he kind of beat some sense into me and said, no, you're going to have much better opportunities if you at least try to do the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had to make this decision pretty early, right? Does this yes. change everything as, even like way back to like high schoolish time, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Correct. And in, in Mexico, it's similar to I think the the majority of the world outside of the US where medicine is straight out of high school. You go into mm-hmm. it as a graduate uh, as like an undergrad degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to make up your mind pretty much when you're 17 and uh, you take a test and a lot of times how it's sorted is everybody that wants to go into medicine takes a test and yep. whoever scores in the top X uh, are the ones that get in and that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's quite different from the U.S. where you have, you know, extracurriculars and you have the MCAT and you have letters and all that stuff. So it's a lot more straightforward. Uh, but at the same point, it's a lot earlier and it's a lot more uh clear cut so to speak if you but didn't... also restricted to only the people who are going to do well on those tests yeah potentially i don't know okay yeah i mean it that, that's a whole different argument yeah. of you know like how can you determine who's going to be a good physician right uh definitely academic acumen is important uh whether it's the be all end all that's obviously up for discussion mm-hmm. uh given my long run around uh approach to medicine because i mean i know plenty of people here they almost get uh, sculpted indoctrinated mm-hmm. uh, from the time that they're in high school or middle school they're talking to advisors they're talking to all these things so for me it was kind of a you know oh i have to make a decision because i have one week if i want to take the test uh, which i did take actually just in case mm-hmm. i wanted to stay in mexico so it was a lot more fast pace and a lot more of a quick decision that i had to make um but long story short, I ended up deciding on the U.S. So that posed by itself a problem because I was still living in Mexico <laughs> and I needed to go to a college in the United States. Uh, so my only real option was the University of Texas at El Paso because mm-hmm. I was living in Juarez right across from the border. Okay. So I applied. I got in. Uh, very interesting because even though I was a citizen, I was not a Texas resident right. uh, because mm-hmm. I never lived there. And UT El Paso is obviously a state school. So my tuition was out of state. Uh, So for one year, I studied part-time, part-time in school and full-time work. And then after that year passed and I became a resident, then I switched it over. Okay. Uh, So that meant I spent a lot of time working, you know, at uh, department stores and uh, fast food joints and whatever I could find because, you know, I'm coming from another country. I don't have contacts. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, trying to learn academic language. Mm-hmm. One of the benefits of growing right across from the border is I had a 
basic functioning English, just conversational English. Yeah. Because we had OpenTV, we had PBS, you could catch all of that across the border. So I had conversational English, but I had no academic English. Oh. So that by itself was a bit of a of an issue. So you were kind of learning this at like 18? Is this yeah. how old you are when you're... Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to sort out what it's like to be in the U.S., how mm-hmm. you know the uh, academic institutions work in the U.S., how working in the U.S. works... Uh, pun intended uh working out taxes and what it means to be a resident or a citizen all those things while at the same time trying to learn english because i was a microbiology major uh so trying to learn academic english and you know what what's a, a telomere and maybe and some latin <laughs> why not yeah throw a little bit of latin and greek into the mix and uh so it was a uh, an interesting first couple of years yeah trying to figure things out one of the benefits though was that in mexico you're a little bit more advanced when it comes to basic sciences. So I had already taken calculus uh, in high school. Okay. So I was able to opt out of a lot of the math classes. Just by like taking level. a test or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So I already had a, a functional and basic understanding of calculus one and two. So I was able to opt out of a lot of the early math classes. So that helped me out a lot because mm-hmm. I could focus more on the other sciences like biology and physics and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was uh, my college experience was pretty much that. So and because you were you the first year you you moved straight from Mexico to Texas. Uh, no, so I was still so for the whole my for that first year you were going back and forth all four and a half years. Oh, uh, so because I had to take that extra year uh, of only taking classes part time. Mm-hmm. It extended my degree into four and a half years. I tried to make up as much as I could later on by taking extra classes and chopped off half a year, but it was still, you know, one semester late. Uh, so for four and a half years, essentially, I was living in Juarez, commuting every day across the border, okay. going to classes, and then com- uh, staying to work. Uh, I worked at Mervyn's, at uh, Subway, at Little Caesars. And then I finally said, wait, I'm kind of smart. Why am I doing this to myself? And I became a tutor. And I was there a brilliant, brilliant <laughs> move, I must say. Uh, and then I tutored at a community college for science and writing and stuff like that. Uh, so I was, it, it was rough. I was getting up around like 5 a.m., uh, going to the bridge, crossing over the bridge uh, yeah. into El Paso, and then taking the bus from downtown El Paso. Anybody that knows the area knows that there's a bridge that connects pretty much downtown Juarez, downtown El Paso, and then UTIP is not that far off, UT El Paso. Okay. So you take a bus, drops you off, and then I would go to all my classes, be done, you know, early afternoon, go work, work till about like 10. Uh, I would literally study for the MCAT in between customers at Subway uh, when I was wow. working the, uh, the drive-thru. I had my MCAT book, you know, the old uh, Kaplan uh-huh. MCAT book. Yep. So I was reading that in between customers at the drive-thru. Uh, and then I would go back home at like 10 p.m. when we closed and then do the same thing the next day. So it was uh, challenging from a time perspective. Yeah. It wasn't difficult. You know, the, the course load wasn't difficult by itself. Yeah, you know, these are college classes, so they had a certain degree of difficulty to them. But it wasn't really difficult. It was more, uh, you only have 24 hours in a day. So right. how do you squeeze all these things into that? So what kept you from moves in, moving just into Texas? Money. Money. Yep. Uh, earning minimum wage while working part-time mm-hmm. and trying to get into medical school uh, was a little bit too challenging. Uh, my parents didn't really have the means uh, to support me if I wanted to go across. You know, we 
we didn't want for anything, but we didn't have a surplus of anything. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't have vacations growing up. We didn't have any of those things. You know, we had clothes, we had food. That was never an issue. Uh, what they did not skimp on, and it's something that I will be grateful to them for my whole life was education. We had the best education that we could get access to in Mexico uh, within our means. And they always prioritize that. So mm-hmm. my dad was a civil engineer, uh, graduated on top of his class, actually, and uh, did some postgrad stuff here at uh, Champaign at uh, University oh, of Illinois, nice. yeah. which is a really good engineering school based on my understanding. So he did some postgrad work there. My mom was a dental surgeon uh, down in Mexico. So they really put a lot of emphasis into education as a pathway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to secure your life, so to speak. Yeah. So they really supported us from the education side, but there was only so much they could do yeah. within the limitations of being in another country. Yeah. And so then definitely wanted like what's best for you to try and push you to mm-hmm. kind of they, go to the States, which was going to be they definitely pushed seeing me. you less. Uh, and... not, not just not just in the sense of go to a different country, but definitely pushed me into, you know, uh, knock some sense into me when I was talking about going to California and trying to be a rock star. <laughs> 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 that was a lot of uh, heated conversations at that time. We'll just say it that way. So did you did you struggle to get student loans as well or? Uh, luckily, no. Uh, because I, because being a citizen, I had my social security numbers, so I went through FAFSA, and well, I obviously qualified for the income because we didn't have any income that would go above that. And given that everything was reported from outside the country, uh, essentially, I ended up primarily with grants, uh, okay. which was great uh, because between my me working part time and the grants, I was able to essentially cover my tuition. Nice. Uh, and then I was still living with my parents across the border, so my housing was taken care of. So essentially, I managed to finish undergrad with no debt, just based on that, between working part time and the grants. And so you worked part time not just to get uh, in state tuition, but you kept doing it throughout mm-hmm. college to help kind of pay for it yep. and not have to take out an additional pay, loan or pay anything. that and to have a little bit of extra cash in my pocket uh you know we're talking like 50 bucks a month right. that you could just try to make something so eventually once i got the tutoring job and was able to make a little bit extra uh, i bought myself a motorcycle uh not so much because i thought motorcycles were cool which they are and to this day i still do and i still ride a motorcycle that it all started from that but because with a motorcycle, you don't have to wait in line in the bridge. You can sip through the cars and go to the very front of the line mm. and then just cut in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a slightly unethical, but not technically illegal. Uh, <laughs> so I did that for the last, I want to say like a year and a half. Uh, and then I would just ride my little Kawasaki Ninja all around uh, El Paso and Juarez. Yeah, but it's it shaved off like an hour yeah. a yeah. day. Well, and when your time is so precious, you're mm-hmm. studying, going to school and working anything that hour helps anything that will sure. maximize it is important yeah. so yeah. what it shifted into was i was still reading for example the mcat kaplan book at you know between drive through customers but there was a uh, exam crackers audio course mm-hmm. for mcat so i would listen to that on my headphones while i was driving the motorcycle to college so i would listen to the courses on that mm-hmm. go to my classes go work read the book at work and then that would be my mcat studying yeah so you, uh, out of necessity, you know, the whole necessity is the mother of invasion and innovation, uh, you find ways of making it work. Yeah. And that was kind of what made it work for me. Doesn't sound like you had quite the like party, uh, <laughs> go far to from, college, uh, have no. fun American 
yeah, American college experience. I had three friends in college. They were all pretty much pre-med. Uh, Josh, Daniel, and Alex. And uh, those were kind of like the only three friends that I had over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only saw each other really in class and occasionally on the weekends, you know, after I would get out of work. Actually, I should give a shout out to Josh because he's the one that he's the one that got me the tutoring job because he was a tutor. Uh, so nice. he was a, the one that actually kind of like opened my eyes. Uh, so yeah, definitely a different experience than what the yeah. average uh, U.S. person has in an American college. And I was still, you know, I still had my friends back home in Mexico, so I would hang out with mm-hmm. them primarily. Uh, and I had my heavy metal band oh, in so Mexico. Oh, your band was in Mexico. Okay, everything, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was part of it was that when I was in the U.S., I was either working or studying. And when I was home, I had my friends home. And so I didn't yeah. really socialize yeah. a lot. And, kind of and you didn't want to go back across and go across the bridge to hang out with people on yeah, a Saturday. He's like, "Hey, you want to go grab a beer?" He's like, "Oh, that's a, like a three-hour commitment just to get there." So sorry. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, you start weighing things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a uh, that was my college experience. So significantly different. What year was this when you graduated? I I graduated in December of 2010. Okay. Uh, so started college in. 2000 and 2005 probably six yeah so, some, somewhere somewhere in there. yeah it was four and a half and i graduated med school in 2015 and i started in 2011 so yeah it was december of 2010 yeah i finished so 2006 because i started in 07 so you would have been six months okay. or yeah yeah somewhere around there yeah uh so and then lo and behold the next stage of my life i guess uh i finished a semester earlier than i was supposed to start medical school so you know what do you do for six months uh instead of just bumming around the house not because i didn't want to but because my parents wouldn't let me um i actually started teaching middle school uh in mexico so i taught english and computer science in a middle middle school in mexico for six months and then started medical school, and then actually moved to the U.S. to start medical school. So did they understand when you started that job, you were just there for like a six-month gig? Yes. Or? Yeah, that was a hired gun. <laughs> <laughs> and so you then got to be in Mexico for six months straight, essentially, with your yep. family again and things like that. Okay. Yep. And uh, at that point, I did I? I think I already knew that I was going to medical school. You probably would, yeah. Because usually, yeah, they let you know that fall, right? It's kind of like November before you start. I feel like I'm getting old because I'm yeah, like, I don't know, when did I get that red envelope that I, because yeah. for me, like, For us, it was like a, like a video. So you get like a little video. It's like, congratulations. What? If you were part of kind of like the, the first pass, like the first selection pass. Nice. You would get like a little video, like Ooh. a personalized little video. Well, so Hector must have done very well. All this MCAT setting, I'm sure, did well for him because uh, he did go to a great medical school. So. <laughs> Um, uh mcat did well in the mcat uh luckily yes a lot of time studying but i also had and it ties back into what we were talking about at the beginning uh the idea of what makes a well-rounded physician was important because i had a lot of life experience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just by the sheer fact of everything that i had to go through but also for example i was very active with uh the boy scouts in mexico and over there it doesn't really end when you reach a, a certain threshold it's just kind of like a continuum we follow the more traditional English uh, style, you know, like the one that Baden Powell implemented. So you have Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, a intermediate branch, I guess, and over there they call like the expeditionaries. Or the It'd expeditionaries. be wee blows here. Yeah, exactly. So it's very similar. We have actually like a batch, like Weeblos mm-hmm. or Webelos, as they call it over there, and then you have like the Rover Scouts. Once you're so there's all this continuum. So even to the point when I was in college, I was still involved with them. So mm. I had like tens of thousands of service hours yeah. and activities and all that stuff. So 
when you put it together, uh, and you know, I had my uh, really good science GPA, like uh, putting everything together almost seemed like a curated uh, application. <laughs> It was just luck of the draw. Yeah. And uh, I had, at that point, I was actually endorsed by a guitar company in California because I was playing. Uh, hmm. I was very involved and I was recording my own little like bootleg stuff and at a studio down in Mexico and stuff. Yeah. So you did service stuff. You had a hobby. Yeah. So there was You just, weren't uh, like a yeah, college good scores. Drunk. You were um, very smart. Yeah. Good scores. Yeah. You had it all. So Hector. it seemed almost like a curated yeah, uh, I application that, that I, I wasn't really aware at the time. I was just kind of like, well, this is the stuff that I like to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And it just happened to line up perfectly. So I'm very grateful for that. You know, the stars lined up and everything went well. And uh, sure enough, got into UT Southwestern in Dallas. For as far as what did you think about when you were selecting a medical school? Was it location primarily? Or? I had no clue. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be straight up with you. Uh, I had no clue what opportunities were out there. I had no idea what medical schools were out there. Like I literally sat in front of the advisor and was like, so what do I do? Like, what medical schools are there? Uh, where are these? Like, which ones should I apply to? Which one's better than the other? Like, I had no clue. So you basically leaned on your advisor at UT El Paso for help on Pretty much. What to do. Okay. Uh, and I remember taking the AMCA the first time. And I took it almost just like a trial run uh, okay. to get an idea. And uh, UT El Paso doesn't, or at least at that point, I don't know anymore, did not have a very strong track record of getting students into medical school. Mm-hmm. Uh so I remember I showed her my score and I was like, I, you know, I'm thinking maybe I can like take it again and do better. And she was like, what in the world are you talking about? Like you're applying with this, with the score, shut up. Uh, so she's <laughs> the one that kind of like lined me up a little bit and uh, let me know what was important, where to go. Cause, and I still remember to this day her expression because I showed her the score and I said, Hey, I'm thinking about possibly taking it again to get a higher score. And she said, what are you talking about? This, this score is good enough for Southwestern. And I was like, Oh, so that must be a pretty good school then. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, cause I, I had no idea. Uh, yeah. And me also having that very limited exposure, I limited myself to only Texas schools. So it didn't apply outside of Texas, right. which in hindsight, you know, getting into medical school is anathema. It's, it's, it's akin to, you know, shooting yourself in the foot if you're only applying to like seven or eight schools. I think we had eight schools back then. But coming Texas from a different had country. its own application system yes. too. So that might have deterred, like I didn't apply to any Texas schools because I was like, I am not doing another application, <laughs> which like in hindsight too is like, come on, Goddard, you should have done something different. Yeah, it's like you but, came back and you're like, wow, I really took a gamble. Yeah, uh, but, but I, that might have been f- better for you to just apply to Texas schools versus if you'd been in another state potentially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, worked out for you, I guess. Uh, to this day. Very yes. well. <laughs> so far it has. Yeah, it you didn't like shoot she, yourself uh, in the foot. <laughs> she served you well with her advice at least. Yes, uh, Dr. Donna Eichel and then Ms. Mary Wells. Those were my, my two advisors. Uh yeah, at first uh, Don Eichel, and then she got promoted, and then Miss Mary Wells stepped in, and between both of them, they managed to get uh, this little kid from Mexico into medical school. <laughs> yeah, which is so good to hear, because it's so funny. I hear so many stories about people who, they're like, don't listen to your advisor, which like, okay, yeah, if you think you can do something, your advisor's telling you no, like, you don't have to, but it's nice to hear a story where an advisor was actually like, on your side, and you like, mm-hmm. are very grateful for your advisor, Yes, because um, I feel like all we hear about is like the negative side of advisors because that's what gets publicity right and that's what people talk about nobody's like oh my advisor like made my Uh, life but so that's so good it's uh you know just think about it if you're surfing the web or you're on reddit or something and somebody says like ah like who is more like who is most likely to post something the one that got screwed Mm -hmm. over the one that actually got really good advice it's it's always gonna be that so there's always 
I don't know. I take the same approach to like Amazon reviews and whatnot. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's if a product is reviewed very skewed towards the negatives, uh, you have to take that with a grain of salt because whoever got a good product is not going to go under to review it most right. of the time. So it's the same thing with advisors. I'm sure there's a lot of really good advisors out there giving a lot of good advice, but it's the people that feel they got wronged that are right. most likely to go and speak out about yeah. it. Yeah. How'd your family feel about you finally doing it? Uh, pretty ecstatic, yeah. actually. Uh, we had one uncle who was the only doctor in the family at that point. Uh, so he was always kind of like, you know, like, ooh, the doctor. Uh, <laughs> so it's always this kind of like aura of mysticism and respect around him a little bit. Um, so was he was, a doctor in Mexico? Yes. Okay. Ophthalmologist. Uh, to this day, still practicing, actually, in his 70s. Uh, wicked smart guy. Um, and practicing well, I have to yeah, add. It sounds <laughs> like you have some good genes there. Usually when you say, you know, somebody's in their 70s and practicing, yeah, a lot like, of people oh. raise their eyebrows. But no, he's still practicing pretty well. Um, uh, yeah, so my family was pretty elated. Um, I was extremely lucky and extremely grateful to Southwestern because they have a alumni scholarship uh, for kind of underrepresented students or people that come from a very difficult background uh, socioeconomically uh so i actually got a scholarship to go to to southwestern uh for all four years yeah nice so i am extremely grateful to that school uh and i try to remember that when i get uh you know the envelopes and saying please contribute to the alumni fund yeah (laughs) uh because yeah i mean they not only did they accept me into a very prestigious medical school Mm -hmm. they did so with uh giving me money uh, to do so. So uh, any, did you have to, was it a full ride to med school? Academically, yes, for, for my okay. tuition. I yeah. had to take loans for my living arrangements, mm-hmm. uh, but just factoring out the tuition by itself was mm-hmm. monumental. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What uh, relief that must have been. Significant, significant, because the way that I saw it was, it doesn't matter what happens, I have my education secured. Right. I, I can live in a box in the street, but I have my degree secured. And that's, that was my approach to it. And that's kind of how I tried to live. For example, my first year there, I lived in a, and I kid you not, I lived in a dining room in an apartment complex uh, because rent was only 300 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was three of us, uh, three med students living in a two-bedroom apartment that had a little dining area, kind of cubicle. Uh, so everybody, or the two other guys split the rent equally pretty much between the two rooms because they actually had a room and a bathroom and then i only paid like 300 bucks to live in my little cubicle so it was like kind of like the harry potter medical school uh-huh. <laughs> uh, i was hiding my little cubicle under the stairs um the but- thing is i believe this because i knew how you lived even as an intern which we will get to <laughs> but um so i 100 oh, believe this story <laughs> i forgot that you're privy to all of that i do uh- i know how you lived when you were making an income <laughs> didn't change much <laughs> no I, I i've always tried to be very frugal and i think it's just something that gets embedded in you uh growing up with not a lot of resources uh you just you i don't know i don't even know how to explain it you just prioritize it you have a, a certain keen awareness of how much money's in your bank account down to the cent yeah. because you know that that extra cent might throw you into overcharge mm-hmm. and, yeah. and fees and so you become just hyper aware of all the money and I look at it and and I would look at the room and then look at my room, you know, tiny little closet where you could barely fit a twin mattress and a little desk from Walmart because that's all I could fit in there. And I say, well, that's all I need. Uh, why am I going to pay an extra like three or four hundred bucks a month to have an extra, uh, I don't know, four square feet of empty space? Uh, so that's how I lived for my first year. And then after that, I 
I don't know. It kind of dawned on me. It's like, wait, okay, you can maybe splurge a little bit. So I and I, I I've never lived by myself, and so I always yeah dreamt about it. You know what it's like uh-huh. to live alone, because it was you know when I was growing up, it was six people for one bathroom. Um, our house was fairly small, uh, so I always had you know that dream of like, oh, I wonder what it's like to to be alone and to you know have your own your your sole bathroom. Like, oh my god. So the second year of medical school, I said like, okay, enough. I took more loans and I lived and I uh, and I lived by myself and it was fantastic. Uh, Still so, a small house or apartment or something. Tiny I'm apartment, assuming. yeah, tiny apartment. Uh, nothing extravagant to me. Just the fact that I was living alone was extravagance. An extravagance. Yes, yes, right. Uh, so it, it's just perspective. It's entirely perspective. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we talk about that fairly frequently. Is like it's uh, it's lifestyle creep. Mm-hmm. Like even even you know starting from such basic beginnings, it's like oh you know the such a small thing seems like an extravagance mm-hmm. and now to probably to go back and live like that again would be like oh this is really hard yeah <laughs> it, 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 it's it all how yeah. and, and it's all how it relates to your current situation i yeah. feel like it's you know one thing is having that experience and another it's but it's more important what's going on around you because mm. for example now i mean i'll you know i have a very fancy you know custom shop fender guitar that cost you know more than I spend probably in that one year of living expenses as, wow. as a as a medical student, but when I purchased it, it it didn't feel that extravagant. Yeah, right. And you know, we're talking like a little over a year ago, uh, and I've had some of those custom made guitars. Like I had one in fellowship, which when you put it into that perspective, is like, wait, you're a fellow, you're not even making you know the big bucks yet. Yeah. But I was already dumping money into that. Now, one thing is that it was always my main hobby. But at the same time, it all depends on what's going on around you and mm-hmm. the level of certainty you have and the level of security that you have. Mm-hmm. Because back then, being a first or second year medical student is, well, what if I don't make it? You right. Know? Yeah. It's like I can't start living large in case I don't make it through medical school. What if I don't match? Well, mm-hmm. What if I never get to that point? When you're a fellow or a resident, uh, you feel more secure. And you had yeah. your big boy job already secured at that point. Yes, so, luckily I had already signed a contract to, and fellowship. But... I already knew what I was going to go. Uh, so you feel more secure. So all of a sudden, that lifestyle creep, it's a little bit more sudden. Yeah. Uh, it's not as creepy. It's more, it just jumps out. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it sounds like you guys are speaking a little bit from experience there. As well. well, I think I think Lindsay is kind of experiencing it in the last year. It's mm-hmm. where it's like it's finally the big girl job is here, and it's just like you know a snap, and it's like the the creep is there. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I was always that person that's like, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, I'm gonna live like a resident. Until, like everybody says. Until that you they get will. that big paycheck, right? And uh, and then all those zeros. Like, Ooh. <laughs> I still have money left over, but I mean, I will say I might not have like, I don't think I had the same struggle you did, you know, kind of financially growing up and things like that. But I still definitely like have had a few times like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. today in my life where, um, you know, I had people feeding me essentially yeah. inviting me over for dinners and things like that. And so I do think that that gives you at least perspective of like, oh, wow, like now I could be like, hey, who wants to go to dinner and I'll buy and it's not a big deal. And that's like such a nice feeling exactly to not because I remember being that person who like I was wondering if I could like I was trying to order the cheapest thing on the menu because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to get stuck with the bill if so and so wasn't going to pay for it. You know, no, you become hyper aware of those things. Yeah. And uh, it it becomes a detriment to your well-being and to your mental state because it's, it's almost like you're not allowed to have fun. Right. Because most of the things, you know, not all the things, but most of the things that involve having fun with others, there's some money mm-hmm. involved in one way or mm-hmm. another. You yeah. know, whether it's you're showing up with food or a six pack or something, there's sure. some money involved. 
and the whole time it's lingering in the back of your mind. It's right. like, you know, it's like, ooh, is this going to throw me into overcharge fees? Right. Am, am I showing up with the cheapest item that everybody's showing mm-hmm. up with? So it's always nagging in the back of your mind. So it's it, it's definitely nice when you get out of that yeah. mindset. But I still feel like it's so funny. David and I even had this conversation today a little bit about something. Uh, I was like, am I being cheap? Like <laughs> kind of like still wonder like, oh, am I still like, am I at my level mm-hmm. where I'm supposed to be yet? You know, because I was that cheap person for so long. And I kind of was like, my true friends and the people who knew me knew my they might not have known how much money was in my bank account but they knew my financial situation mm-hmm. and to a certain degree and so they they would never judge me for like bringing the cheapest thing to mm-hmm. a 10 to, maybe it's a 10 to 20 dollar gift exchange and i brought something that was 10 dollars. you know yeah. like they wouldn't judge me but doesn't um, stop you from thinking about that yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah you're like man i probably should have splurged for the 20 like yeah um, but then the person who's bringing the, the $30 thing to the Tinder 20 is like excited about whoever gets their $30. Like that would be us now, you know, like, oh yeah, I yeah. got to bring the nice thing that somebody gets to be excited about. That's about giving with. back, right? Yeah. It, it, and it all depends on what position you're in. And it, it's very nice when you're able to see it from both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, because now, for example, like we took a trip to, uh, to Belgium not that long ago and, you know, we're traveling with a baby, uh, and we're flying and, we when we first moved to the our new job we got the credit card for the airline that we're going to be using the most mm-hmm. and obviously we're furnishing a house when we first moved so we racked up a lot of in, into that credit card and we got all the extra potential uh promotional points mm-hmm. that you could in miles mm-hmm. so we took one flight one round trip flight to see our family in texas in first class because we had mm-hmm. a baby we had like a five-month-old baby and we said yep. no we're gonna do first class we want space to be able to change the baby and everything it's hard to go back. It is. Oh, yeah. After that first, hard. that first first class flight, and you're like, oh my gosh, the yeah. peasants. And it, and, it makes, and it completely makes you sound like an asshole. Oh, uh, yeah. Like a but as somebody who travels all the time, asshole? too, like, I get it. it. And, yeah. and, and exactly. And that's the thing is you get it. Once you're in that position, you're like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. So like flying back from or flying to Belgium, we didn't take the upgrade. And we were like suffering and we're like snapping at each other. And then on the flight back, we actually upgraded <laughs> and it was amazing. So yeah. Yeah. you start seeing both sides a lot more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, it gives you appreciation for those things. So yeah. now I, I like first class and I enjoy it. I, I don't fly usually first class. I mean, I flew over right. here coach. Uh, yeah. I flew Southwest where they don't even have a sign seat. Yeah. Yeah. So, because I, I, I still <laughs> try to be as frugal as I yes. can. Yes, yes. But if I'm doing an Atlantic flight, I am flying yeah. at least business. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you learn to prioritize. And mm-hmm. I guess that's my point. It's, yeah. it's not that you stop being frugal. You just prioritize certain things. And yeah. I think the most important thing you can do is to keep you, because you can lose sight of, right. you have to keep both sides. You can't lose sight of one yes. side or the other. You yes. know? So, you know, people lose sight of the idea, oh, that, you know, normal people have to fly a coach. <laughs> Or whatever, and I think they, you start. It starts to become like, oh well, I'm better than all those people. It's right. like, oh yeah. no, that's not the that. case. That's yeah. you know, yeah. you got to keep in mind that you know you don't always fly first class either. Or yes. yeah, it's it's not an us and them type yeah. of no. scenario. Yeah, and and that's a very big distinction that I think it's 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 very hard for us to maintain sometimes. And I'll speak from from experience. You know, uh, you have a a fancy new car, or you have a fancy new piece of equipment, or you have a fancy new something, and it's very easy to fall into that trap of you know mm-hmm. like us the ones that have and them that those those yeah. that don't to judge yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah anyway we're on a really big tangent there sorry well, we did yeah. uh, I mean, this, is, this is the yeah, yeah that's how things go just uh, normal conversation nice. yeah to bring us back yeah uh yeah so what do you think about med school med did you school, hate it did you love it i absolutely loved it did you uh finally doing something you're super into 
and not having to work. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, people would say med school is a full-time job. Yeah. Plus, to me, it was a break. Did you try and work at all during I, it? I worked at the student center. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I still worked, but. Because I worked during med school my first year, and like, there are very few of us who like still tried to work during it. Mm-hmm. You probably worked all four years if I, I worked all know first. Hector well enough. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I quit after the first year. <laughs> no, I, I worked between the student center and tutoring like neuro for the first oh, year. He had two jobs. Okay. Okay. Yes, Showing uh, me I, up. All right. I worked, I worked all through through med school and we had a med school band uh, that I was the lead guitar player for. Uh, so to me, med school was an absolute blast. Yeah. And uh, we did this very formalized schedule. One zero second year. For me, second year was like the best because second year was you took a test and then you had three weeks and then you take another test and then three weeks test, three weeks test. That was a whole year. It was very okay. regimented, very predictable, which was awesome. So I would take a test. I would slack off for a week, like go on a trip, not open a book or anything study well for one week and then hammer time for one week take the test slack off for a week mm-hmm. kind of study for one week hammer time for one week and then just keep doing that so the whole year was great i would go see my family i would go on trips i would drive um somewhere hector's also abnormally smart it sounds like the more i hear about it's <laughs> not fair i did not do that during med no, school no you, nor you do just, many of the east southwestern students probably you just learn uh what you can do to optimize things so I never went to class uh, because all of our classes were streamed. Right. So I would. Double time. Yep. This is why all doctors, not all doctors, but all doctors (laughs) in our generation probably, and David hates this about me. Like I will, an audiobook on 1.5 is like leisurely reading for me. (laughs) (laughs) If it's on one, I'm like, shoot me. It's too slow because all of us streamed Mm. at 2x. (laughs) So that's how it was. It was, I had my syllabus open. That's as fast as it goes. And then listening to the lecturer at 2x. And then I would listen to each lecture twice Mm -hmm. and then move on to the next one, listen to that one twice, and then just go through that. And you develop your own little system Yeah. uh, and you learn what works, what doesn't work. And once you have that down and you have that process down, it just becomes automatic. You know what you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And then third year comes around and everything changes. (laughs) Right. Uh, all of a sudden so you, it took you first year to get that kind of schedule down and then by second year you kind of knew what you needed to do unfortunately could... uh that schedule was only for second year oh, first okay. year was okay. still more of the you know some classes last for six weeks others okay. last yeah. for three yeah. months and it was just all over the place so first year was a little bit more hectic from a planning mm-hmm. standpoint um then second year was very regimented very predictable and then third year you're thrust into the words mm-hmm. uh i had an absolute blast running around the hospital uh it was just extremely fun and it was extremely invigorating and fulfilling and you know you also have to keep in mind i'm running around in parkland hospital in dallas which is a county hospital uh, a lot of uh, migrants undocumented south americans so I'm running around, and I'm pretty much like the only translator that a bunch of I was going to say, you're speaking Spanish uh, everywhere you go, probably. <laughs> yeah. So I got actually certified as a medical translator yep. uh, mm-hmm. so that I would be Another official. job. Yeah. Actually, yeah. <laughs> but I did it primarily just so that I could go around. So all of a sudden, now I can consent people legally. You become a really hot commodity when you're in surgery. Mm-hmm. If you can consent people legally in a different language, and they don't have to be calling the telephone and using oh, yeah. the language line yeah. and all stuff. So I actually had different surgical teams asking, he's like, hey, is Hector working on? Is he is working on today? Like, send him over. Like, we need him. Uh, so all of a sudden, everybody knows your name. Everyone knows where you're at. Everybody knows what you're doing. Everybody likes you. Yeah, because you're there to solve problems, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, not, you're not dumping on them. You're solving issues. 
so that helped me out a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it's just one of those, like a lot of my life has been right time and in the right place. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely there. And I also didn't have family in town. I had no other distractions. So if we had a surgery at 9 PM, like I was there, because, right. you know, nothing yeah. else going on. So I was there like all the time. Uh, everybody knew me. I got along with all the, the residents. I put in FaceTime uh, with all the attendings. So when it came time to asking for letters of rec and things of that nature, it was a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, people near me and I was around. And I just uh, threw myself into it. You know, I threw, into, I threw myself into it entirely uh, because that's what I wanted to do. And I worked very hard to get to that point and yeah. I was not going to fail. And it's really like, as far as words go and things like that, it's like a year and a half, which like yeah. in the grand yeah. scheme of life, like... That's not that much. You can throw yourself into that. Yeah, and really... it's, it's uh, you know, that, that whole saying, like, anybody can do anything for X amount of time. Yep. Uh, and it's just, you know, you put your head down and it's one foot in front of the other. And, oh, so now I have to be, you know, I have to be an extra two hours at the hospital now. Okay, mm-hmm. that's what it is. I feel and... like that's such a thing for medical school because I still use that mentality sometimes. Just like now, like the traveling, like, okay, mm-hmm. like 18 is. months, like I can do that, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same for that. Like, I remember on my surgery rotation being like, all right, I'm waking up at 4 a.m., and I'm going to bed at nine, whenever, I don't know, 10, whatever time I got home, staying mm-hmm. as late as I could, doing as much as I could. But like, you can do anything for eight weeks. I remember yeah. thinking that. And then like in residency and internship, you keep that mentality. Yeah, it's just a continuum. It's maybe I mean, a weird just, like medical thing where you're like. I think it's you have to because you have to talk to yourself and pump yourself mm-hmm. up to be able to put up and endure what goes on through medical school, you know, understandably. But the the little mantra that I would do for myself is this is who you are and this is what you do. You set goals and you accomplish them. Mm-hmm. And if this is what you need to do to accomplish the goal that you set for yourself, then this is what you do. Mm-hmm. And that's it, you know, and uh, it's something that I feel is echoed a lot by like the World War II veterans. Uh, you know, it's kind of when, when people talk to them and they say like, well, how do you feel about like having to go and kill Germans or kill, uh, you know, like Japanese people or something? They say, well, that's what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they, they don't dwell on it. They don't attach emotions to it. Right. It's purely objective. So for me, it was I want to finish medical school and do well and get into a good residency. So this is what I have to. And that's it. Yeah. So when in medicine did you decide? It sounds like you probably liked everything. I was kind of like, I was going to ask, is there something you absolutely hated that didn't speak to you? Uh, (laughs) Derm. (laughs) Sorry. Did you actually rotate on derm? No, purposefully, because I was like, no way that I want to do that. I thought that too. (laughs) I think it's got to be a rotation. Was there a rotation you were just like, not for me? I I remember like seeing how they went and they gave us like a class and they talked to us about it. And it was like, no way in hell doing that. Like, absolutely Well, see, here's the funny thing. I felt the same way about RADS. And then I rotated on interventional radiology as a, but I'm like a use my hands type of person, Mm -hmm. but... And I wrote it on interventional radiology as a TY mm-hmm. intern year. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I could totally do this. Mm. Um, so I do think there's some things in life where you're like, oh, I would never do that. Until you're. Until you do it. And even position. Derm. Like I remember when <laughs> I was uh, in college, one of my sorority sister was like, you're going to be a dermatologist. And I was like, that's disgusting. I would never do that. Ew, rashes and pimples. <laughs> And now look at me. You're still that way. (laughs) You rashes and pimples. I am still that way. (laughs) Now that you bring up a good point, it's it's, uh, the difference between superficial knowledge and deep knowledge. Mm -hmm. So it's like if your superficial knowledge of derm is pimples and rashes, probably like mine is, is no. But you have a deeper knowledge of it as like, no, have you ever seen freaking Stephen Johnson's? Like, you know. Well, and even that, no, thank you. I'm like, (laughs) I get to 
go in, see a skin cancer, cut it out, look at it under the microscope, and then put it back together again. My job rules. You see, that's fun, but to me, it's <laughs> so. So to me, my job rules. Okay, I love it <laughs> because I'm hanging out in my reading room, blasting heavy metal with a cup of coffee, and I don't have to deal with people. <laughs> there so you go. Me, yep. And 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 actually, no caveat. I do deal with people, but I deal with people that know what's going on, and that is a huge difference mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. because I don't have to be educating. So if somebody rings my phone, yeah. Is somebody to ask me a question that is a knowledgeable question, appropriate question that I can answer quickly and get back to work. So it's either a tech or a consulting physician or somebody that has a quick question. So to me, that makes all the difference is who are you speaking to? Yeah. So to me, my job is awesome. I love that. And that's the amazing thing about medicine is like we have very different careers. Oh, yeah. Because like I spend all day long pretty much talking to patients who are awake. I get to operate on them, which I think is super rad. Um, But... It's they're so different. Like I would not even you describing that as like this is my perfect day, and probably vice like, versa. That horrible. <laughs> me describing my perfect day, yeah. and I like get. To, I'm like I get to hear about all these people's lives and like yeah. learn something new every day and talk to them. Like everybody knows all about David. Some people listen to my <laughs> podcast, and you're like I don't want to talk to a patient at all. Yeah. Um, that med student better not call me again. Yeah, <laughs> I'm hanging up. Yeah, or or when I talk to patients, it's because I'm there to do a procedure and relieve their pain. Right. So you're actually kind of like the good guy. You know, you show yeah. up, you do an injection, they feel awesome, and you say, cool, awesome, see ya, and then you go back. Right. <laughs> and, and that's it. So I don't know, I love that, but it's funny because a lot of times it boils down to, you know, is the field selecting the person, or the person goes into the field and then the field changes them? I mm, think it, in ours, it's more like the field selected. Oh, yeah. Because when we were on nights together... Uh, you and uh, our overseeing resident, Jez, were chatting the whole night because we were on nights. And I was in the corner just being like, oh, my God, shut up. Let me read my book. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to study. I wasn't even studying. I was yeah. reading my sci-fi book over in the corner listening to my metal. And then Lizzie would be screaming like, Hector, lower that music. <laughs> yep. Because uh, the only one that we agreed on was like uh, trip hop, little people. What kind of like chill, like EDM, yeah, like S? chill music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. the one kind of like common ground that we had because I was blasting like black metal and. Death well, metal. here's the funny thing. You want to know what we did like a month ago, which is totally off topic for the podcast, but <laughs> oh, yeah. we went to a Lindsay ranch went to our first uh, metal oh, concert. Yeah. Lost. <laughs> yes, I know. I was like, right, oh, you're chugging around, around Goddard. Uh, guys. Yeah, but it was a whole. It was always an issue yeah, because I was, was blasting my heavy metal in one corner. Uh, and then Lindsay said, like, no, nope, put on little people. And I was like, Country. okay, I, I like that. So we would start little people. We found an even ground, though. But I then loved slowly it. I would start, like, changing it. <laughs> so I would change it to, like, instrumental bands that were a little bit heavier. You know, Explosions in the Sky, some of those kind of, like, instrumental rock bands. And that... I was probably okay with that, was I? Until we got to a point where Lindsay too was much? like, wait, that's not little people. Yeah, go back. <laughs> what are you doing now? So it was always, uh, you know, how far could I push it before Lindsay noticed? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know how much it's like the fields changed us yeah. versus we were destined for those fields. Yeah, I feel like i feel like there's a little bit of destined mm-hmm. fields and that's the cool thing about medicine is you kind of end up somehow people find their way because yeah. there's even people like so danielle wolf who like got us both to the residency mm-hmm. she started out as an anesthesia resident and i think realized at some point that that wasn't for her mm-hmm. and became an er doc and that was like her destiny so sometimes this the path is not always yeah. straight as you and i's were to most extent um but i think you end up finding something that works yeah. for you usually or i hope so that's a very nice thing about medicine it's exactly how you put it is there's, there's something for everybody and eventually most people yeah. find it so when did you decide that rads was rads? for you Ooh. uh so to answer your question yes I, I was the typical one that liked everything yeah uh so when i first started medical school so you get into it with that very uh 
aggressive determination. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's the only thing that got me to that point was having aggressive determination. You know, uh, what they call it, ruthless prioritization. Uh, so being able to say, like, nothing else matters. This is what I need to do. So I got in with that mindset and I was like, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. And right. so I went down that path. You just picked the hardest thing. Yeah, because it was like, oh, that's the most badass and intense thing. I kind of like, did that, that too. That, I yeah. want to do that. That's yeah. what I'm going to be. And then I rotated through it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is horrible. <laughs> Why do people do this to themselves? Uh, and then I was like, all right, now we're going to take it down a notch. I'm just going to be a general surgeon. I'll go into like trauma, like emergency, you know, exciting stuff, but it only happens sporadically. And, you know, it's not as brutal. And then I went into that and I was like, eh, not quite my thing because I love being in the OR. Doing mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the way I explain it is I loved surgery. I hated being a surgeon. Uh, so I, I loved the surgery part. I hated everything that went on mm-hmm. around it. Uh, so I eventually ended up switching out of that because as exciting as it was, once you do something for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, yep. the novelty wears off. And yep. you have to be comfortable with what you're doing to do it for 20, 30 years mm-hmm. if the excitement is not there. Yeah. Uh, so I switched out of that. And then I really enjoyed neuro. And I thought about neuro, psych, something, you know, something to do with the mind. And then I had a neuroradiology lecture in, I think, late second year. Completely blew my mind. The idea of CT scans and flying photons and x-rays and uh, like radio frequencies, exciting uh, hydrogen atoms in your body to develop pictures was the coolest shit I've ever or seen. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then things changed. <laughs> and then that was it. Like there was, you know, there, there are a few things in your life, you know, what they say, what is it like a core memory unlocked? Uh-huh. Yep. That was it. Like for me, like that's one of the few that I remember sitting in the chair in the auditorium and being like, holy shit. And uh, yeah, that, that completely changed my perspective, not just of medicine. I mean, not just of what I wanted to do, but of medicine. Hmm. Because it's like, oh, wow, we can do these things. Yeah. And somebody's behind those things. The patient. And I was like, that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so my whole, perspective, my whole perspective shifted and I decided that's what I wanted to do. All right. Yeah. And uh, so I started getting my letters of recommendation. Now, up to this point, I've actually started meeting with surgeons because I was still in the surgery mindset. So this is like second to third year of medicine-ish. So you need to know kind of what you're doing as a third year so you can apply for away rotations or Mm -hmm. kind of ask for letters like you're kind of talking about. plan a little bit. So I ended up shifting a little bit and I did like a radiology elective and I thought it was the most boring thing ever. Mm. Uh, And to this... uh, to this day, I still hold that watching somebody do radiology is like right. it's putting bamboo files in on yeah. nails. It's, it's absolutely horrible. You're falling asleep. You're miserable. Somebody's trying to point out things to you that you have no clue what you're looking at. You're because, like looking over their shoulder at some picture. And they're like, oh, yeah. you see this little white dot? And yeah. you're like, no, everything's white dots. Uh, <laughs> because you don't have the training. That's a problem. Is right. in, in medical school, they don't really train you for radiology yeah. at all. Uh-huh. Uh, so somebody's trying to explain things to you. And you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, that's just mush. Mm-hmm. now i look at it and you can like from across the room you're like oh yeah that's obviously right. x or y mm-hmm. but back then i was like no I, I don't understand anything so i almost switched out because i was like this is absolutely boring which i think is interesting for several specialties like derm's the same way you know like you most people don't get derm you don't get radiology mm-hmm. like i didn't do an anesthesia rotation um ophthalmology there's tons of these small mm-hmm. little specialties you get kind of the big pictures internal medicine yeah. general surgery OBGYN, peds. OBGYN, peds mm-hmm. but like and like, if you might have an interest in some of the subspecialties of those, like I knew I might want to do bone marrow transplant. So I did that. I saw, mm-hmm. sought it out and did it. But otherwise you're not getting, you're just getting these kind of mm-hmm. big specialties, which maybe is good because, you know, the subspecialties yeah. don't need as many people, but it also is a little disservice sometimes to people who might, this might yeah. be like 
Hector and I were like, this is truly what I was meant to do. And I'm very happy with my job. It's, it's very true. There's a, uh, there's a bottleneck and there's a degree of access. To uh-huh. it oh, if, for sure. If you just didn't have it, you, you have no clue. That Cause I think there. all of us, anybody I've talked to too, like myself, like I thought I was going to be OBGYN because that was like of the big things, mm-hmm. the one I resonated with the most. Um, and then to find these smaller things can be a little bit harder unless you were exposed to them in other ways, maybe have a lecture or something yep. like that. So yep. that's Completely interesting. Agree. And then you do your rotation and yeah, you were like, like even a derm rotation, you're like, whoa, everything you guys are saying is like way above yeah, me or like, I can't no follow clue. the pictures on radiology. Yeah. You have no clue what they're talking about. And the problem is that a lot of those, so specialties, probably even derm, they're very individualistic. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not working really as part of the team as maybe no. in the other ones. Yeah. So there's a bit of accidental gatekeeping when it comes to information yep. because yep. it's very individualistic. And then at the same time, you don't know what you're looking at and they are doing things that require only one person to do so. Mm-hmm. So I I put it akin to watching somebody play video games. Yeah. Uh, now there's a it's lot a of analogy. Twitch and streamers right now and it's, there's a whole movement behind it, but try to think of somebody playing like Mario Brothers. And you're sitting there in the corner and you're being forced to watch Mario Brothers, somebody else playing Mario Brothers, because you want to be paid to, uh, to play Mario Brothers. So that is the analogy that I always try to explain when I have residents or anybody mm-hmm. else. It's like, I know this is boring as shit because you're literally watching me play video games. Yeah. Like, this is, this is what it's like. Now, to me, it's fascinating. Like, I'm scrolling through all the images and it's like, oh my God, is a tumor eating into it? Is it not? Is there something else going on over here? Like, it's cool shit. But somebody else that's watching it, it's boring as all hell because they're not controlling anything. Mm-hmm. It'd be one thing if they were the ones moving the mouse or dictating. Yeah. Like, it, it grips you. Otherwise, it's... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, if anybody listens to this and is doubting radiology because of that, that don't if, if you really like the field just try it try to do like a rotation a fourth year rotation or something where you actually get to dictate or scroll it's it's a different it's completely different mm-hmm. it's a game changer and was that the game changer for you you ended up doing a rotation in gen surge and a rotation in uh I, yeah i got allowed a little bit to kind of like scroll through it and honestly for me the biggest attractive or the biggest attraction to the field was the technology i just mm-hmm. thought it was so cool uh and i figured once i can get in I can make of it whatever I want mm-hmm. to make out of it. So that was kind of like the biggest attraction, not so much the material itself. Because in radiology, I saw flexibility. If you want to mm-hmm. be in a hospital, you can be in a hospital. If you want to read from home, you can read from yep. home. If you want to do procedures, you do procedures. If you don't want to do a single procedure, you don't do a single procedure. If you want to be reading from across the world, you can be reading from across the world. If you want to just go into research and technology, you can do so. So and at the same time, I mean, it's it was known at that time. I mean, things have changed a little bit, but it was known that it was a very cush specialty. Right. It's part of, you know, the so-called road. Uh, so when you put all those things together, to me, it just made sense. You know, it, mm-hmm. it ticks enough boxes to outweigh all the other ones. So I took the logical approach. Right. Yeah. And I, I approached it very analytically and it made sense. Yeah. So what did, at this point, you're ending your fourth year, what did uh, applying for fellowships and look like? Or, or residencies. Or residencies, or residencies, residencies sorry. Residencies, yeah. Yeah. For residency, it was a uh, completely different approach to medical school for two reasons. One, uh, I didn't have the highest grades in my class. I was too distracted, whether it was with work or the band or everything. And also, it's like, yeah, what I just And you're competing against the top of the top now, too. You're Radiology is pretty competitive. Yeah. Well, uh, and just like being at a high med and, school. Yeah, and so true. your grades might not have been the, the same as if you had gone to maybe a lesser That's a fair point. Yeah, the substrate, med the substrate of the class was a mm-hmm. little bit different as yeah. a whole. 
yeah, you know, one thing is when you're competing against your local high school, and another thing you're competing with the best of that high school and the best of the college that they went to right. in this medical school. So it, that's true. It's different. Uh, now, I wasn't, you know, wasn't in the bottom quarter or anything, but I wasn't the best. But at the same time, up to that point, and it sounds weird now uh, when I say it, but we're talking somebody who was in their fourth year of medical school and had never been north of Dallas, Texas hmm. in their whole life. Uh, so to me, that was something to be corrected. <laughs> so I applied everywhere in the country. Yeah. Both as a way of making sure I got somewhere uh, and as a way of actually exploring the country. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, which is actually how I ended up in RTY in Spokane, Washington. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> like coming from Dallas to Washington State, like who does that? And I remember actually uh, Deborah and Dr. Wolf, they say, you know, all the Texas guys, you say that you're going to come and then you never come. You stay in Texas or somewhere in the South uh, because, you know, it And you had no ties here, I'm guessing nope. either. Yeah. Nope. Okay. I just, I showed up. I got a good vibe and I love the part of the country and that was yeah. it and I tried to base a lot of my decisions after medical school on just the gut check yeah. uh -huh. and I had a really good gut check here and yeah. it was one of the best years of my life yeah uh, but yeah so I applied to like 80 programs wow, wow. I went overboard was that 80 <laughs> applications or 80 interviews 80 applications I got 20 something 30 something interviews and I went on I think 18 which okay. was still which is a lot many. for radiation yeah, yeah especially when you actually had to too. travel for them back yep. then right yeah. so like, I spent a lot um so I went I think on 18 inter interviews total for radiology and then like 10 for my intern TY oh wow uh, oh. the yeah. ones that were not categorical <laughs> yeah so I spent like three months just or four months just traveling the whole US the whole application and interview period I was just traveling like I would go uh, I would interview I would get home spend a day in Dallas and then fly out again to interview mm -hmm. somewhere else so that was uh, expensive. Just the application process was, was expensive. Probably eighty applications. You yep. know, you're paying it was. for those that are applying or don't know. You pay per application. Yep. It's usually like a batch set. Like ten applications is this, exactly. twenty applications is mm -hmm. this, blah blah blah. And if you go so, over, it's so you can do twenty, but if you do twenty-one, you get charged as if you did an extra twenty. Per, okay. uh -huh. So at that point, just send the extra twenty. Yeah. So that was kind of my approach, and ended up with like eighty. Uh, so what I did is I took out the Southwest credit card. <gasps> I did that too. And I just started flying Southwest <laughs> everywhere. I accrued an ungodly amount of points. Yes. And I bought myself an Xbox, like 10 games and a bunch with all those extra points. Because at that point <laughs> you could redeem them for Amazon gift cards. Uh -huh. So I redeemed all my points for Amazon gift cards. And I ended up with like $600 of worth of Amazon uh, $20 gift cards. So I have a whole stack of Amazon Maybe gift cards. Maybe we had a little opposite yeah. for the, because see, I took out the Southwest credit card to pay my tuition with. So I paid all my oh, med school smart. tuition with my, my, not Amazon, my Southwest credit card. And then I had enough points built up for the to pay for my interviews. That with, is brilliant. With points. Yeah. That you just brilliant. did it the opposite and then got yeah. some games and stuff. But yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you worked hard, Hector. You, you but, deserve but it. But clearly <laughs> you thought that this was a process that was actually, you know, as somebody who lived very frugally, this was something that you needed to invest heavily yes. in, right? So it's, it's, it goes back to that ruthless prioritization. So I looked at that as a, and it was, my thought was... This is something that I should not limit myself on mm -hmm. because everyone that I spoke to, I they agree. say it's like medical school. Once you get into residence or fellowship, nobody cares what medical school you went to. It's going to be your residence and your fellowship. So I say, okay, this I can ask him. So I went overboard. I made sure that I was going to go to the best program that I could, that I wanted to, and that it was going to be entirely up to me and not my credit card mm -hmm. where yeah. I went. Yeah. Uh, so I 
charged at all. And <laughs> at know, that swipe, point, swipe. like, there's, like, light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not, like, applying to med school. Because applying to med school is similar, too. It costs money. Every school you apply to, you pay for your own interviews. You have to travel to each place. Mm-hmm. But when you're – but then you're not going to – then you're going into debt for four more years. At least yeah. at this, like, this is how I felt a little bit, too, was, mm-hmm. like, the as a frugal person. There. Like, okay, I'm going to – I might only make $50,000 a year my first year, but there is money to be mm-hmm. seen on the other side of this. You so. can pay the credit card bill. Yeah, exactly. When you're in medical school, you don't know. Once you yeah. get into residency, yeah. you can pay the credit card bill. Yeah. Uh, so I went overboard. Yeah. And uh, I interviewed all over the country. So East Coast programs, West Coast programs, uh, California programs, Texas programs, Florida programs, like literally everywhere in the country. Um, and I narrowed it down to a handful. Uh, I used my own little criteria, uh, but I relied primarily on the gut check. And uh, I mean, I can tell you my ranks. I still remember them. It was, I ranked CUD Southwestern number one, and I matched there thankful uh for my interviews uh uh danielle mendelson who was an amazing i don't know if she's still uh over there but she was from what i gather from everybody that was when they're discussing the applicants she really stood up for me and said Mm -hmm. like you need to accept this guy like he's got a really cool story he seems like a really hard worker get him in uh so everybody told me like she was my biggest advocate so to this day thank you dr mendelson you're amazing uh, and she's a really cool lady. She's from South Africa, so she knows what it's like to be an immigrant mm-hmm. with, yeah. with all that stuff. A lot of cool stories. She's she's just a baller neuroradiologist with an awesome accent. But um, so that was my number one. Number two was uh, Seattle because uh, I just got a really good gut check there. I loved Seattle. Just mm-hmm. showing up, mm-hmm. seeing the city. It was like this is absolutely amazing. Uh, number three was University of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, which is funny that I somehow ended up over there. Yeah. Uh, just same thing, you know, I just got pretty good vibe from that place. And then, uh, number four, I think was Brown, uh, university. And then number five, when was my number five? It was some other big academic, uh, mm-hmm. place, but yeah, so pretty spread, you know, we're talking like number one, a program in Texas, number two, a program in Washington state, number three, right. a program in the Midwest, number yeah, four, a program in the yeah. East coast. Yeah. Uh, because for me, it was more like, I wanted to go to a good program, but I want to go to a program where I'm going to be happy with the program itself. Yeah. Uh, and that was it. So I'm like all over the damn place. Uh, and I applied everywhere. I interviewed everywhere. And I uh, got into Southwestern for my resume. Yeah. So I stayed pretty much. But you did but, your internship here. Yeah. Yeah. In but uh, I did decide that I wanted to go somewhere for at least one year. Explore some other part of the country because I've been in Texas pretty much up to that point. And I was mm-hmm. going to go back for another four years. Uh, and when I was interviewing, I applied for the radiology residency here in Spokane. And they said, hey, if you get the position here, you automatically get the TY with it. Why don't you send them your application? Because it didn't apply to the TY. Mm. Why don't you send them your application so that they can interview you and see if you would be a good fit? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. So I literally sent Deborah my application like the week before. I was wondering what the TY was. Okay. Like the week before I was supposed to interview for radiology, I sent Deborah my application just to be interviewed. Uh, So it's kind of like a little weird process. Mm Mm-hmm. But lo and behold, because I sent my application, I had a separate ranking for both the TY and right. the radiology here. And after I met with Deborah and with Dr. Wolf, it was an absolute positive gut check. Oh, yeah. And it was like, oh, I want to be here. I don't care what I have to do. And I guess they felt the same way. And they ranked me even though I didn't even apply. It was just weird. Yeah, it was yeah. just weird. My application process here was weird, too. So thank you, Danielle and Deborah, for yes. uh, 
accepting both Hector and I, (laughs) (laughs) despite not originally applying to your program. Yeah, Jacob Berman told me about the program here when I was on an interview for another program. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And so I reached out to them and yes, kind of similar. Yeah. It's just weird. Small world, world crazy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that's a very good point that it's like you start running to the same people in interviews. Oh, yeah. And you start getting to know each other and you start Mm -hmm. talking. And Mm -hmm. hey, what do you think about that program? I'm going there next week. And it's like, oh, no, like it's Yeah. Well, and it's funny. You guys were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, how your TY year influenced you and how many people that yeah. you oh, yeah. dig this TY year with have been drawn back to the area, including mm-hmm. Lindsay and all sorts of other people. Yeah. Yeah. They're almost, we were trying to count like almost half of our class. Yeah. Is back over half. If you kind of include the big catch area, including mm-hmm. like the West side of the state and Boise and maybe even like, uh, idaho in general um and then at least half of our class is kind of back in the pacific northwest a lot of people had ties here to begin with hector Mm -hmm. and i are probably we were kind of the minority group that was like far away away, had Mm -hmm. never lived in the pacific northwest (laughs) and then we showed up here fall in love with it and i mean you're working here i'm like over here visiting very frequently because i love this part of the country yeah and yeah, I mean, it was, I don't know. There's don't move about to Spokane, area. people. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. I remember seeing an article. Doctors. That, there was an article we that do. came out like a few weeks ago, and it's like, oh, one of the hottest new growing cities. I'm like, no, like, <laughs> yeah, it's a secret. It's a secret. Go to Boise. Yeah, <laughs> Boise's but, great. It's just as good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> this message is sponsored by the yeah yeah um, Boise Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it was, so that's kind of how I went yeah. over here. I just yeah. wanted to explore something new, try some new area of the country that I'd never been to or seen. And I remember I actually considered ranking the, the radiology residency number one because I just had such mm-hmm. big positive gut check about it. In the end, I ended up uh, deferring that just because I did not want to limit myself. Right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go to the biggest, strongest academic program I went so that I could have the biggest options. So I, I, I same thing. I took a very analytical approach right. to it. Which is important to, I think, uh, a lot of people who aren't in medicine don't understand how important where you go to residency and who you meet in your residency mm-hmm. factors what fellowship you do and and what job you get and, and what job and you I'll get touch yeah on that it's all like on. who do you know and who do they know yep. and uh, the type experience of too because I wanted to go so <laughs> my approach I mean at this point you kind of inferred my personality and my approach to my life and my profession mm-hmm. but I wanted the chillest intern year I could find because right. I don't like internal medicine. I don't like any other stuff you have to do as an intern here. So I wanted the chillest one I could find, but I wanted the toughest radiology residency that would absolutely destroy me. Yeah. I wanted to see every single pathology. I wanted to be on call the most. I wanted to be there the latest. I wanted to be absolutely crushed because I don't like studying. So I wanted something that would replace studying. I don't want to have to open books. I just want to see everything. Hands on. Yeah. And it's easier for me if I'm reading something and I see something new and be like, what the fuck is this? And then I have to like go and open up and and start reading up on it real quick just so I can make a a dictation instead of going home, opening up a textbook and spending a few hours. So there are those that learn by doing, those that learn by studying and reading about it. I I am definitely the more the doing. Otherwise, I'm not going to go home and study. Mm -hmm. So... And I wanted just something that would prepare me. And it pays up very well. I'm in private practice right now. And we dealt with very high volume, very high call, independent call, which is going away in most places of the country. But after 5 p.m., there were no attendings. It was just residents and the fellows on call. Uh, so you're having to make the call. You're having to make the decision. You're having to send that patient right. to surgery based on what you say from your first day of second year. And uh, that is something that's also very unique to Southwestern is there's no tier call. Is when you start taking call, 
you're reading whatever's on the list. You're reading MRIs, you're reading CTs, you're reading x-rays. Oh, wow. Like other residencies, they, they start you off with like x-rays at first, you get mm-hmm. your feet wet, then you move on to cross-sectional. Southwestern, it was like, nah, man, we're here to train you, so you're going to do it. So day one of second year, you start taking call, you're reading CTs, you're reading MRIs, you're reading whatever goes through. If there is something very challenging, then, you know, you can punt it to a senior. Right. Be like, hey, man, I have no clue what's going on. Can you just take this case? Uh, but simple, you know, right lower quadrant abdomen pain, that type of thing is like, you're reading those CTs day one. Uh, so they really, really throw you into the fire. And that's what I wanted. I wanted yeah. something that would absolutely crush me, challenge me. But I wanted the chillest TY that I could find. So yeah. that's how I wound up over here. <laughs> it was a good year. Yeah. It was, it was awesome so funny year. for me. I don't know. You probably felt this way too. Um, I remember starting residency and being like, oh my God, I wish I was an intern again. <laughs> and everybody was like, you do? Yep. Intern years sucked. Yep. And I'm like, you just chose poorly. <laughs> exactly. Because it happened. It's like, you know, you're a first year radiology resident and not taking call. Your days are essentially eight to five. No yep. weekends because you're not on call. Right. And everybody's, it's uh, like so relieved that they're only right. working eight to five. And I'm thinking, God damn, I'm working so much now. Because yeah. <laughs> for those that aren't in medicine, like intern year is historically and typically like the worst year mm. of training. But when you're in an off program like Hector and ISO, like radiation, radiology, Radiation oncology, dermatology, ophthalmology, uh, anesthesiology, like your intern year can be separate. And so for us, our intern year was like much easier. It was the opposite. It was not. It was almost, I like to say that it was fifth year of medicine, yeah. fifth year of medical school. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, first year is hard in its way. Second year is hard in its way. Third year is hard in its way. Everybody says like fourth year of medical school is the best. And then I'm like, yeah. And then you do a fifth year of medical <laughs> school. It's like, it's like being a fifth year senior yeah. in college. That is the intern year of your dreams. Yeah. So, and I think all the people we've talked to who dig the Spokane TY year are like, yeah, this was a chill. It was I fun. came here for a chill time, right? And like, yeah. I got that and still yeah. had fun and still yeah. got to learn. And there was just so much flexibility. And, yeah. And uh, that is also something that I will definitely uh, thank right. Deb and and Danielle yeah. for because they built in so much flexibility right. to it that you can turn into whatever you wanted. Yeah. Like I made my own rotation. I did a derm path rotation that I created. Our colleague Paul created his own like blood, like he wanted to do like some sort some of like blood donation. Transfusion. Transfusion. Yeah. yeah or, that he made. And like, so you basically could like do what you wanted to there do. Was, yeah. You could turn into whatever you wanted. You could make it as challenging or as right. light as you True. wanted. Uh, but at the same and like make something that's interesting to you if there was no electives that were interesting exactly. to you, you could make your own and that was huge it was you could actually turn into something that would prepare you for what you mm-hmm. wanted to do afterwards yeah. instead of just you know rounding on patients for three months because you're doing three right. months of internal medicine or icu so you could actually shape it into whatever you wanted that could help you down right. the line now maybe that is the biggest reason that we think is chill is because we kind of would morph it into something that we liked and, we and i think the people that did it we're not necessarily the people who just wanted to slack off the most mm-hmm. because like, you know, I got the award for most likely to show up on her path rotation. And that's because I made my path rotation <laughs> <laughs> derm path <laughs> so that I would be exactly. doing something I wanted. And just like for Paul, like making the transfusion rotation, that wasn't necessarily something for him to make an easy rotation. It was just something that he was interested in and wanted to learn about. Exactly. And so I think, and it takes a little bit more work potentially to like make your own rotation. Like mm-hmm. I had to seek somebody out and find somebody who would do a derm path rotation for me. Mm-hmm. And then I worked harder than your normal path rotation. Yeah, because all of a sudden, and you're I actually got commended interested. for it. <laughs> yeah, a, I, I think it makes sense. <laughs> yes, but, but those are the people they're recruiting here too. It's yes. not like the biggest slackers, and it's also the people who are gonna like appreciate that year mm-hmm. too. So you you want people that get it. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, that they're coming here. That, yes, it's going to be a chill year, but you're not here to just slack off, show up late or something. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be chill, but there's still expectations. You're still mm-hmm. a doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still a professional. And that's probably why we all got along so well, too, is because, like, you know, you and I doing nights together, it was mm-hmm. never like, okay, Hector, you need to take the next one. Like, mm-hmm. we all just, like, showed up and worked because yeah, we and, knew and how to work and work we're, hard. We're jumping, like, helping each other's out mm-hmm. and, like, hey, something's going on in the ICU. There's a code or something. Like, right. we're running yeah, we're around there. the hospital yeah. and... You know, we also took like Pete's overnights and, mm-hmm. and, and you're there. You're the only decision actually in the unit mm-hmm. uh, for all the pediatrics. And, you know, you, that was my second week of internship. Like my second week of being a doctor is like, I'm the only doctor present in the, in, in the building, in the wing. So you learn to step up and right. to take responsibility and yeah. to deal with it. And like, you know, you have a three month old that is crumping on you. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like, you know, the attending is half an hour away. Like, yeah. you got to keep the kid alive. So you, it really forces you to step up, but at the same time, it's not as demanding with mundane things mm-hmm. as maybe other it's not a big academic be. place yeah. yeah too so so we had a great intern year Fantastic and then year. you had a tough residency but yes exactly what you wanted essentially yes. prepared you well absolutely fun times and, in uh, dallas probably with your friends that you had met there mm-hmm. too yeah so a few of uh, actually very few of my friends from medical school actually stayed everybody oh, okay. but there were a couple and then, oh, I forgot to mention, uh, the tie-in to your comment, yeah, when I lived in Spokane, I lived on an inflatable mattress for oh, a year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hector I, didn't have a car. I did not buy a single stick of furniture uh, for my apartment. <laughs> I had my TV and my Xbox on the floor, and I lived on an inflatable mattress. But he did my, live alone. And my little, with my dog, with my dog, Remy. Yes. Yeah. And it was just us two, uh, with no furniture, just a little inflatable mattress and my TV and Xbox. And that was it, for a year. Um, no guitar? Uh, I did buy one guitar here. Okay. And then I sold it right before I left because I left all my nice guitars in storage in Dallas. So I knew I was going back. So I left everything over there. I moved up with whatever I could fit in a car, which was essentially just clothes. But you didn't have a car here, right? Or did you sell your car? My uh, roommate at the time helped me move up over here. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and then, yeah, I didn't have a car. I didn't have anything. So I lived. And Spokane's uh, not really the type of city. Like most people would be like, oh, you don't have a car, whatever. Mm, a little harder in Spokane. Yeah. Like Hector Public rented transit? a car for this weekend when he came, so he's changed his lifestyle a little yes. bit. <laughs> uh, and I would actually. I rent did a ask car. him if he needed a needed a ride. I wasn't sure. Yes, she did. In your defense, yes, he did. Uh, no, but I, I would occasionally. So I lived the full on, you know, like Spartan monk lifestyle. You know, I was in the hospital, or I was I don't know somewhere else doing something. But I didn't have anything. I, I really didn't have possessions here. And if my parents came over to visit or something, like, they would have to stay in a hotel or we'd, we'd figure out a way. And I would rent a car to drive him around, go to Walla Walla or something, and I would return the car and then I would go back to my, you know, Spartan monk life. <laughs> and my parents were totally fine. Like, they were like, are you happy? He's like, yeah, I love this. And they were like, okay, cool. How about it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I, honestly, I really enjoyed that life. Yeah. Uh, like, I was perfectly happy. Um, so I lived like that, went back to Texas, and then once I was a resident, I figured, all right, I can start splurging a little bit. So I got myself a nice loft apartment, you know, open open floor concept, big windows overlooking downtown Dallas. I remember visiting Hector in Dallas and him being like, oh, come back to my apartment. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and then he shows me, I'm like, wow. I mean, it still was, a, a, it was still a studio. I will give you that. It's called a loft, Lindsay. It was like 1,200 square feet. <laughs> Like once you get into qu- I was like, quadruple digits, you don't digits, actually have a bedroom. Actor. Once you get into quadruple digits, you can no longer call it a studio. It's like, <laughs> okay, that, that's okay, like by law. Okay, okay, it was a lot for Hector, but I did ask him if he had a car at that point too, and he did. So I, did. I was very impressed. Solo apartment, <laughs> even though in my mind it was a studio, which I thought was meh, um, <laughs> or a loft, whatever you want to call it. But he had a car, so I was like, all right, Hector has finally given up his uber frugal ways. I a had bit. a car, I had an actual bed, like with a frame. You did, that is true. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so it was like just that's when I said, okay, I can actually start allowing myself to live this like is a human the being. Began, <laughs> and slowly but surely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I had that, and uh, that was four years of my life. Great four years. Uh, so tie into the whole southwestern uh, tuition thing. I didn't have a lot of loans, but I mm. had all of my living expenses, mm -hmm. which accounted to about one hundred twenty thousand for those four years. Oh wow, one hundred twenty, one hundred thirty. Me being me. Uh, said, I'm going to finish residency owing nothing. So I moonlighted like a maniac. Wow. Uh, while still you know, paying for my nice loft and paying for my new car and everything. And I moonlighted. Like, there was, like, this, this is not joking. There were days that I would not go home for like four days straight because I was doing swing shifts, reading overnight on my call shift, covering contracts while I slept during the day, and then waking up, going back to a swing shift, moonlighting, and then my overnight, and then just repeating that for the whole weekend. And then going to work on Monday. Uh, so it was absolutely brutal. But I finished residency owing not a, not a cent. Uh, and to me, that was huge. The moment that I paid, like, send my last check, my last deposit, is like I cut off all of my money. Uh, and it was so just literally, yeah. like freeing. It was, yeah. it was actually March of the pandemic when it hit. So right before oh, I nice. finished. So those three or four months of my fourth year, right before I finished, like, were the best years of residency for me because I wasn't moonlighting. I wasn't really much on call and everything. So I could actually enjoy life. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I, the residency itself was brutal, and then I made it even more so because yeah. I implemented this stupid goal of I want to finish my residency without being in debt. Did you feel like that couple years post now, do you feel like that was worth it? Yes. Yeah? Yes, absolutely. No hesitation. Uh, not just because of the whole being debt-free. I mean, to me, I'm, I'm a very debt-averse person. I understand uh, the benefits of it. You know, like, yes, I do have a mortgage. <laughs> but... Uh, there are good debt and there's bad debt. Yeah. To me, that was bad debt. It's, it's not helping mm -hmm. me out in any way. It helped me get here. Now it's just hindering me. So I need to get it down as quickly as possible. Uh, so that, that's that one factor, the peace of mind. But another, based on those super extreme moonlighting shifts, I read so many cases. Mm -hmm. I saw yeah. so much pathology. I developed my search patterns that I rely on to them this day when I'm reading a scan that allows me to read them extremely fast, very effectively. So... It was just more training. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. I see it twofold from those two sides. So yes, I, I do think it was yeah. well worth it. Yeah. And then you, most people who do radiology end up having to do a fellowship. Is that correct? Nowadays, yeah. Okay. So yeah. you had to do a fellowship. Yes. So in the same vein as my TY, I wanted the chillest fellowship. I could. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I switched gears. So to me, the biggest learning comes from residency because that's where you're reading every body part, every modality, everything. You're learning yeah. to be a radiologist. Fellowship, you're honing skills. Mm -hmm. So residency, you gain kind of like the block of your knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then in fellowship, you're just chipping off and making it sharper in certain areas. So I took that approach and I wanted a fellowship where I could actually study. For one time in my life, I actually wanted to be able to open books and not be in the hospital Cause, the whole time. Because that's one thing with fellowship, too. And I will say, Moe's is a little different, but, like, I would say Derm maybe relates to this a little bit in that, like, you're not going to see everything. Like, there's so many dermatologic mm -hmm. diseases, and it's probably the same for musculoskeletal or any sort of, like, very refined fellowship where, like, almost, like, studying is going to get you to the point more than, like, mm -hmm. going somewhere where you do tons of cases because – Doing tons of cases might just get you the bread and butter, but you really need yeah. to know the, the the weird things that might happen once in a lifetime, exactly. which is studying. You're supposed to be the expert. And when you're in residency, you want to learn how to read cases very fast, very effectively, very mm -hmm. accurately. But when you're in fellowship, you're supposed to be the expert of the esoteric stuff. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do so, you need to open a book. And, you know, from the MSK side, 
it does it, once you've read you know 50 meniscal tears you're good <laughs> you don't yeah. need to read 500 more uh so it's a complete paradigm shift on how you at least how i approached my education at that point mm -hmm. so i wanted to go to a well-renowned program that wasn't just going to be a beat down where i'm on call the whole time and carrying the attendings loads uh and uh, that would give me time to study and i also wanted to go to like a cool place of the country that i hadn't checked out mm -hmm. so i ended up in ann arbor michigan uh, under the tutelage of John Jacobson, uh, who's the MSK ultrasound guru. He actually literally wrote the book, the MSK ultrasound is uh, yeah. the essentials of. The book you read. He, he wrote it. Because <laughs> you had time. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, uh, and Carrie Yablon, who was my, uh, my fellowship director, who I love dearly, and we still go and visit. Uh, she's an nice. awesome person. And she was able to bring a lot of perspective because she had done private practice for a while and then wound up in academics, so she's seen both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. And she's just a badass person too. <laughs> so yeah. I was. And that was one year? One year. Okay. Yeah. And it was a fantastic year. Uh, at that point, I was married. Uh, we got married right before we left Dallas. And uh, we just went and enjoyed the Midwest. This was during the pandemic. So Ann Arbor was fairly deserted. So it was 2020 to 2021 or 2019 to 2020? 2020 to, to 2021. 2021. Okay. Yep. So Ann Arbor was fairly deserted. Uh, so it's one of those, like, there's only a few students around. It's a, it's a big college town for those that don't mm -hmm. know Ann Arbor. Uh, so we pretty much almost had, you know, the town to yourself. Yeah. There's so many trails and things to do, so many outdoorsy things that it was just an amazing year. And it wasn't a beat down. I got plenty of time to study and kind of prepare myself for private practice. Uh, so, which you had already secured, yes, in residency, which is kind of crazy to me. Yeah, um, so the because way you went, I thought you went to Michigan, and then you decided like, oh, I like the north, the Midwest, the northern side of the Midwest, and you were like, okay, I'll go to Wisconsin. <laughs> but no, you had like both of these set up yep. in fellow in residency. Yep. So every year, I feel for the past few years, that process of getting your job has getting is getting a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, so for us, it was actually during your fourth year of residency. And uh, also another tie into something that we spoke about before, the, the power of connections. Mm -hmm. uh, because in the group that I am, it's a fantastic group. And we had one of our uh, former residents from Southwestern go there. And he's a mammographer there. And then he really enjoyed the group. And uh, accidentally, actually, talking about a PAC system, you know, like our, our tech uh, so to speak, our, our programs. He was talking to the chief resident at my program, and my chief resident just said, like, hey, by, by you guys by any chance hiring? And he was like, actually. So he pulled him, and I knew the chief resident from my time in the residency. And, like, he was a, a really good friend of mine, still is. I mean, we work together. And, uh, and I knew him, and I knew how he, how he thinks, and I knew his interest, and I knew, and for me, seeing that and saying, like, hey, why is this guy going to Wisconsin? Like, you know, he's a chief wrestler. He's wicked smart. He knows what he's doing. Like, why is he going to Wisconsin? Like, there must be something there. So I asked him, and he told me just like, hey, it's it's a really good group. It's very extremely egalitarian. You know, they split everything the same. There's no weird tier partnerships and all this other stuff. It's like, it's just a bunch of really straightforward, honest guys. Mm -hmm. And like, nowadays with the realm of private equity mm -hmm. and all the things, mm -hmm. it's like finding those small, truly independent practices where everybody pulls the same is hard. Yeah. Uh, so because of that, all of a sudden they were hiring and he pulled me. Uh, yeah. so it ties exactly into what Lindsay was talking about, about go to big programs or go to big academic centers would be my advice. Not so much because of the training. I mean, that's obviously very important because you're going to see a lot more and be mm -hmm. much better at your job if you go there, but also because of the people you meet, because yeah. you never know who's going to be the one that gets you the job. Yeah. yeah. Or even finding like for me, uh, 
I kind of always knew that I wanted to go to Scripps was known where I did my fellowship for Moe's is kind of a notoriously really good Moe's program. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, when I was ranking my things, I was like, oh, like I knew that my mentor from med school went to did his fellowship there. And I knew Loma Linda was close to there. So Mm -hmm. I went there for that sole reason because they had matched people in that program before. So I saw ties and such, Mm -hmm. you know, and things and was like, okay. I mean, it's weird to me to think that like I ended up going there for fellowship too. And, um, but you know, little things that you pay attention to like that might actually play a role. Like Dr. Greenway liked to, might have liked to take patients from this program because he knew that they were, you know, well-rounded, good. You know, what's coming, you know, what you're getting. Exactly. And that's huge. You, you, it's, it's not unknown. You know, the product they put out and you like that product. So you don't have to argue, you know, so little things like that sometimes too might play a role. Might not be like Loma Linn is not the biggest academic center, but I saw this tie of like, oh, they've Mm -hmm. had like four people go to scripts and so like to me that played a factor in where i ranked them yeah, yeah. i mean the, the comparison that i would make or the analogy would be is if you go to a mcdonald's and i don't know france you know how that burger is going to taste yeah. yeah like there, there's <laughs> there's a certain yeah. uh, uh which consistency to mm-hmm. the product mm-hmm. and i'm assuming as somebody who's hiring and some, a program director right. that's important knowing yeah. that you're getting yep. a consistent yep. product yep um so so yeah so that's my plug-in for like hey try yeah be, be weary also like don't piss people off be a good team player because oh, yeah. all that comes bridges. into play i mean there's plenty of guys that have reached out to me and be like hey are you guys hiring and i'm like uh no even if we are because mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. boils down it's to a small world it's 2 a.m in the morning you're tired do you want this person next to you in the call room and if the answer is no then you should probably not uh, hire that person yeah so a lot of it also goes down that path. But anyway, so yeah, all, all those ties. And uh, I knew him, and uh, he spoke very highly of this group. So it enticed me. And I said, sure, let's do it. So nice. I signed on and uh, went over to the great frozen north. And now I get to hang out with Hector and Wasa sometime. I know, crazy. I'm super excited. <laughs> super weird. Uh, I'd still like Amazing when, people there, too. When you first texted me, because you had no clue that I was there, right? Well, you were like, this is the funny thing. So I text Hector. Oh, I sent you a picture. It was like a time hop. Like, oh, it's mm-hmm. been four years. And I was like, oh, that was the last time I had seen you in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is funny. Look what this came up. How are you? And, you know, and he's like, oh, it's good. We just had our first snow. And I was <laughs> like, huh? Because, of course, Wausau's like on my weather app, you know? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Where are you again? He's like, uh, the Midwest. And I'm like, where in the Midwest? Yeah. Central you Wisconsin. Were like, you said Central Wisconsin. You didn't even tell me the no, place. Because I was like, nobody's going to know and where in the world like, Wausau is. I was like, oh my is. gosh, it just snowed in Wausau. So I don't even think I asked you where you were. I was just like, cool. I work in Wausau on Stevens Point. And you were like, I work at Wausau Radiology. Yeah, so like, you and I was like, me. oh my goodness. What a small world. Yeah. yeah. From Spokane, from Texas and Oklahoma to Spokane to yep. and then little Wausau, Wisconsin. And then here we end up. Uh, so Hector apparently we're... thought I was actually looked him up and Googled him. I thought you were messing with me because and... <laughs> we were texting and uh, and she's like, where are you? And I'm like, oh, you're in the Midwest. And then all of a sudden she became like, we're in the Midwest. Specific. And I'm like, Very ah, central Wisconsin. And she was like, I work in Wausau. And I was like, oh my God. She like, probably Googled me and is just like, messing with me right now. <laughs> Uh, just to like throw me off my game or something and no actually it was true <laughs> no it's true you could have googled me too it's a and they're like the places that you go see, to see you well. haven't even tried wow Hector. no because i respect your privacy <laughs> <That's it. laughs> so the last 15 years of your life have just been like uh-huh. this crazy hard-working multiple jobs sort of uh-huh. battle what do you did you this, you've had a year kind of to yourself oh, yeah. now right what are you doing with your life i'm raising a baby that's <laughs> <laughs> probably even more challenging uh the medical school is uh, i mean just as many sleepless nights 
Um, no, I uh, I try to find things to occupy myself with. Uh, so <laughs> one of my dreams is like, I mean, with the whole music and guitar and everything, I always wanted to learn how to play drums. But living in a tiny house with six other people, one bathroom, and then apartments, it was never a possibility. So I finally mm -hmm. bought a drum set. So I have a drum set in my basement, and I'm learning how to play drums, mm -hmm. finally, after years and years. So I have that going on. And then uh, the group, they're very, uh, my, my job, I mean the group, my job, they're very egalitarian, so everybody does a role. So my role over there right now is uh, trying to head the MRI department and other little projects here and there. So that also consumes some time. Uh, right now, as you guys can imagine, with the labor shortage all over the country, oh, yeah. like that's mm -hmm. an issue by itself. Uh, I'm giving small lectures on MSK Ultrasound over to our local uh, Ultrasound Tech Society in Wisconsin. Uh, so I'm in the middle of prepping some lectures. Um, and honestly, for the first time in my life, actually trying to learn about like finance and trying yes. to figure that oh, out. Oh, wow. You know, the whole idea of like... But it's an HSA. And, uh, you but know, you were smart about this from the get-go. Because this is actually one of... Hector hadn't actually heard about the pod podcast when we convinced him <laughs> to do this. But one of my like side loves is finance and accounting. Mm -hmm. Because my degree is in accounting, actually. Mm. Um, things Hector might not know about me, actually. No, um, so much. But it sounds like you, from the frugalness and the paying off the loans, like you kind of had that in your uh, mindset. But were you mm -hmm. ever like good about maxing out your 401k or doing a Roth or anything like that? I cashed out my 403, my 503b from uh, Providence, from RTY. Okay. That'll tell you everything right there. Okay. <laughs> you didn't roll it. I had it. no clue. You didn't yeah. roll it over. I had no clue what an IRA <laughs> okay. was. I had, you didn't roll it over into a Roth as you should have. <laughs> no, this is like, you know, this is a little kid from Mexico. I have no clue what any of yeah. those like uh, individual You're just like, I've got mean. some money over here. Exactly. You're like, it's hey, like, they put money in this account like, for me. There's, we there's also like had eight an, grand over there? It's like, hell yeah. We also here. had an HSA in residency. Did you know that from, from working at nope. Scripps? Okay. Yeah. Nope. Mm -hmm. Or not Scripps, at Sacred Heart. Yeah. Sorry, I had no clue because to me, all those things were foreign and I was... I was just not aware. Uh, which so I, I was think, not literate. Which I think sense. would have been so helpful if, you know how we always had those like uh, weekday lectures if you went to lunch? Like you round get, rounds type of thing? Yeah, yeah, you'd get out of your assignment and go to lunch. Mm -hmm. I used to always do that. Um, and because I got to eat and I got out of assignment. <laughs> free food. It's awesome. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I love me some free food. That is um, the mark of a, somebody who's really doing med school well is if they can find the free food every day. <laughs> yes. Um, or residency. Or residency as well. <laughs> um but we would go to that and I wish they would have had, that would have been super nice as like a lecture. Like, Hey, you're going to, we're giving yeah. you a 403B. And this, you shouldn't cash it out at the end. You should roll it over into a Roth or somebody to be like on your side and in that way. And not that, but basic finance classes mm -hmm. in medical school. Cause the thing about it is you have this, uh, I mean the whole, the whole time that you're trying to get into medical school, it's a very narrow path that you're walking. It's, you have to have blinders on. Otherwise, you get distracted and you end up uh, not getting into medical school for X or Y reasons. Mm -hmm. so you have blinders on. You're working very hard. And your whole, uh, your whole realm of knowledge is science, is medicine, is, is these things that you need to know to make it through medicine. You don't really get taught any of the finances. So you have people that right. have never had a lot of money, but most never had a lot of money. And then they go into debt, significantly into debt. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they start making a lot of money. Right. And in their like 30s when blinded. they're, yeah. So it's like, you know, the deer in the headlights. You have mm -hmm. no clue what's going on. And all of a sudden somebody throws a big paycheck at you and you're like, oh yeah, bring it on. And you have no idea how to optimize that, how to distribute that. Right. 
And now you're paying a bigger tax, It's mm-hmm. which is different than your friends who have maybe made, you know, higher but steadier income. Mm-hmm. It's very different. And, yeah. and you don't get a raise every year, which some yeah. do. Mm-hmm. You don't have cost of, uh, cost of living adjustments, things right. of that nature that you have no. So I, I had no idea. So to me, this past year also, all of a sudden, like you start making the big bucks and you're like, I should probably know how to manage this. Yeah. Uh, so that's also something that I've been diving more into podcasts and articles and books and trying to become somewhat literate. You know, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not playing options and stuff like that. I'm more of a based on my personality, as you guys can gather, yeah. is more just kind of like yeah. I'm just gonna dump it into like an index fund and just let yeah. it ride. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's a very simple approach, but at least like I know what those things yeah. mean. Yeah. Which a year or two ago I had no clue. Right. Uh, so that's also being something big this year for me. That's cool. And uh, and finally, being able to actually enjoy a little bit of time, you know, traveling, hanging out with my wife, uh, those kind of things that before, I mean, she would literally take me food to the call room when I was pulling those like three days in a row. So she would show up, we would talk for 30 minutes in the call room in front of the station, and then she would leave and I would see her again for like a few days. So like now we actually get to spend time together. Yeah. How did you guys meet? Uh, we did the online thing because, okay. as you can imagine, you somebody... had no time to get to exactly. actual date. <laughs> <laughs> so I was there, and one day it kind of like dawned on me, like you know, I I dated around and Spokane and others. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't a celibate monk. I was just a monk because I didn't have furniture. <laughs> but uh, well, it's hard to bring a girl back to like a blow up mattress and a, <laughs> and an Xbox um, and a it's TV. It's different, David, when you get to tell me you're a doctor. Yeah, oh, okay. it's, it's, you'd be surprised. <laughs> okay. Because a lot of it is like, well, you know, I just moved here. I'm only here for a year. All my stuff is in storage, which is true. It's true. Don't look at me that way. It is true. <laughs> it's not some line. It is true. All my stuff was in storage in Dallas. I don't have a car. Uh, but it's a little bit different. Yeah. Could you different. take me home, please? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like they were wondering why our first dates were always like close to my apartment. No, it's not so that I can like weasel my way into getting you back to my apartment. It's because I don't have a car. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so now we actually get to enjoy that. Uh, so it's a little bit different. But we met uh, doing the online thing because of that. Like one day, finally dawned on me. He's like, holy crap, I'm not going to meet anyone. If I'm right. literally like, I don't know, can I say it? Like I'm breaking duty hours like every week. And yeah. like I'm reporting, I'm under reporting my hours so I don't get into trouble or get the program into, well, and you're, into trouble. It's one thing with radiology. Dermatology is the same. Like we're not really, it's not like another field, like maybe like anesthesiology or like internal medicine where you're like, handing off and meeting nurses and dealing with other doctors and things mm-hmm. like you're very much in your own. Yeah. Cause I felt the same way. Like the only way I'm going to meet people is online dating. That's true. You're kind of isolated. Uh, like for example, for me, like all those time working, it's exactly like you said, like, mm-hmm. you know, for somebody else they might have, <laughs> it's going to sound very, very bad. Uh, but it's like, you have access to the nursing pool, <laughs> so yeah. to speak. Uh, for us, that's not an option. Cause when you're at work is you're literally sitting by yourself in a dark room. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's an entirely Unless different Unless you ballgame. date your like one female co-resident. That, that is not married. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's not married. That's, and then at the same time, it's like, oh, not do you want to do. You know, <laughs> do you wanna open up that possibility right. of yeah. that exactly. drama in your residency? Right. So you end up straying away. And that mm-hmm. was really kind of the only viable option. Unless I wanted to start going and like hang out in bars and doing that whole thing. Yeah. Which, which you don't have time for. No, because you're yeah. busy at the hospital. And at yeah. the same time, like I really enjoyed the online dating thing as much as a, uh, as much as a connotation that it has. Because you can filter out so many things, which is great. Like you can filter by education level, you can filter by age, you can filter for all of these things. So it gives you, my opinion, is that it gives you a bit of a leg up in, if you know what you're going, if you're interested in. Mm-hmm. It allows you to filter a lot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it saves you a lot of hits. Yeah. Yeah, Lindsay's joke is like I used uh, we met on doctorsonly.com, So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not his first doctor. 
Yeah. <laughs> farmers, farmers only was a little too oversaturated. Or yeah. I mean, you're a Midwest girl now, Lindsay. I know. Well, I'm not the first doctor he's dated, so he is like doctor Subaru blonde. I've got a doctorate in dating doctors at this yes, point. Yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, experience, yeah, knowledgeable. <laughs> but yeah, so that that's kind of how it came to be, and it was it was funny because our first date was literally me leaving in uh, IR. Uh, which anybody that's done IR knows it's like it's long days, it's busy, it's pretty much like almost Amazing. surgery. Because if I say that, like the surgeons are immediately gonna like throw their scalpels in the air. Like, yes, it's not as intense as surgery, but it's pretty intense. Um, and you're there very early and you leave late. Uh, so I left like uh, 6 p.m. after being there at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. Uh, and we were meeting for a beer like close to campus. And we met up. Now I had my dog. My dog was a total champ. Uh, could his hold dog his was definitely oh, a chick magnet. <laughs> He's a cute little corgi. Yes. Yeah, so he oh, uh, yeah. definitely it helped. Helps. Definitely yeah. helped. But uh, he was a total champ with his bladder. He had an iron bladder. He called it for like 14 Aww. hours. Uh, so at that point he's like pushing it. So we meet up, we have a beer and I'm like, Hey, I have to go home. I, I really have to let out my dog. He's been alone since like, you know, 5am. She thought I was blowing her off. <laughs> Cause she thought he's like, Oh yeah, he's just making up an imaginary dog to like blow up the date and like go home. Um, and there wasn't really a spark in the first day. Maybe I was just tired from my yard. She had mm-hmm. just, like, just got out of work. So there was just nothing. And I thought that was it. And then a few days later and I give her all the credit she was the one that reached out is like hey do you just want to do brunch this weekend i was like "Ah, i got nothing going on yeah sure whatever we meet up and freaking fireworks like after that it was like yeah i'm gonna marry this chick like that was the second day i I knew and and i have the text to prove it because i texted one of her friends paul uh because i was originally supposed to go visit him and hang out do a trip i think to scotland or something and we oh ty paul knew this girl Like, he didn't knew where we were going to do this trip. Oh, you texted him. And I canceled on the trip because I wanted to bring her to the Northwest because I told her, I think I want to live in the Northwest. You should check it out. So, like, yeah. No, I have the text to prove it. Uh, But, yeah, it was from the second date. I knew I was marking this chick. Like, no questions. Wow. Yeah. And sure enough. When when in your residency was this? Second year. So, uh, February 7th of 2019. (gasps) That's my birthday. You serious? February seventh, yeah. Yeah, that's when we started dating. Aww. And that See? was yeah, that was technically our first date. Our second date was four days later on a Saturday. That was I think it's uh so that's when it happened. But yeah, our first date was February seventh. Yeah. So cute. I love oh, it. Yeah. I know, I can And tell now you have a baby. I know. Cute little Is Remy little still alone? He is not, unfortunately. Aww. Lymphoma. Yeah, when he was six. It's six? It, apparently that's the peak age when dogs get it. But he actually was with my wife, so I lived in Spokane for a year alone, and then we met. I talked up the Northwest so much. She moved to Walla Walla for a year uh, for a job. So it's kind of their version of the TY. Yeah. Speech pathologists have kind of like their version of an intern year. Uh-huh. So she did her version here in Walla Walla. So she loved it. But she was also coming here with no family, no contacts, nothing. Yeah. So I said, hey, I'm going to be very busy with third year of residency. I'm going to be studying for the boards, yeah. all that stuff. Why don't you take Remy? He'll be good company for you. And sure enough, he gets lymphoma while he's over there with her. Uh, now... It sucks because I wasn't there, but at the same time, her life was a lot less intense than mine at the time. Yeah. So she was actually able to take care of him. Uh, she yeah. would go home, uh, go home on her lunch break, let him out because at that point he wasn't holding uh, his yeah. urine as well. So I'm really grateful that he was with her because she was actually yeah. able to take care of him yeah. in yeah. his yeah. last last few weeks. It was very fulminant. Yeah, we're talking yeah. like four weeks from diagnosis to passing. Aww. Yeah. Fortunate poor little guy. He was an absolute. Yeah. Tr- yeah. Yeah. He moved literally all over the country with me. He did. Uh, from yeah. Texas over here and back. And, yep. 
and he was a chick magnet for mm-hmm. you. <laughs> Which is uh, greatly appreciated when you're now single and in your early 20s. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah. Well, we talked, to, we yeah. talked him out. Yeah, yeah whirlwind uh, recollection of yeah. Jesus, like twenty years more. Actually, we talked about like my early childhood. I yeah, know. That's my whole life. I in know. Yeah, we your whole life. put your whole. It's condensed, condensed into an hour and a half <laughs> into this period of time. Right? Just your medical life. We didn't go into too much else. We didn't talk about rock bands or your whole dating history or anything oh, like my, that. My it's unnecessary. My first kiss. Yeah, no, stuff. we don't need to go into all that. Is there anything you need to promote a band or? Yeah. Uh, not at this time. I mean, okay. if, if you guys need a drummer in, uh, I don't know, like 12 months, 18 months, give me once some time. Once you're to up, good. once you're up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Give me some time. Have right, so you, you given up the lead guitar or no, do you want to do something once. different? Yeah, more than anything, I just want to I just want to learn how to do something new. Okay. So, and I always wanted the drum, so that's kind of like it by, by de facto. It became it. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm learning. But I have kind of like a little makeshift music studio in my basement. So I have, you know, like a microphone, I have my guitars and amp and stuff. So. I'll record the occasional music, and I'm kind of like getting into that side of uh, music production as well, trying to figure that out. Uh, I don't know. I'm just I, I enjoy learning little tidbits here and there of little skills. And we're talking about like, well, if, if we get a bigger house, like we should actually design it with that in mind, and you know, yeah. have a yeah. soundproof basement mm-hmm. with like yeah. the actual a real studio. And, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'd be fun. Just, I don't know, just a hobby. Everybody but, uh, needs a hobby, or three. Yeah, they. <laughs> They, you need uh, a summer hobby and a winter hobby. <laughs> or something you can do, uh, a perennial hobby. There you go. Yeah, Yours is yeah. perennial, yeah. Mine have not been. Yeah, it doesn't matter when it's negative uh, 25 outside in Wisconsin. I can go it's down true. to my basement and I can just rock out for a couple hours. No yeah. yeah. Well, maybe not anymore because now we have a baby and my wife will scream at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep her well, happy. Well, that's the idea behind the soundproof room, right? Cause... Exactly. So I can like, lock myself down there uh, away from the baby screams. I mean, uh, prevent the baby from hearing all the noise. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming to town and letting me uh, twist your arm into doing the podcast. <laughs> it's been fun. I feel like I've gotten to know you more. Yeah, you it's definitely know cool. a lot of stuff that I probably I didn't know. mention uh, when we were too wise. This is a great way to get to know I know. I we should it. do one so that I can actually know stuff about you. I don't have to Google you. Creepily. You yeah. could listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, note it. <laughs> Just like our, yeah there you go like all our listeners there's yeah. other episodes if you want to hear more about my boring life compared to hector's well i didn't even know or you had a podcast in my defense you could have like shoot a text or something let me know yeah if you don't follow her on social media do you even care i yeah. don't have social media <laughs> i know that's the thing is like hector's a recluse all right yeah, we'll i think we've established that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay all right tune in for other episodes and thanks for listening yeah, to thank subcutaneous you. thanks yeah. for coming on Hector. thank you for having me guys bye everyone